Good morning. It's good to see you all here today. If you are in Kidmo, you can head on that way. And if you're a guest and have a second through fifth grader, you can follow them and see where they're going. If you'd like to drop your kids off, uh, they are going to have their own time of teaching, small groups and crafts, games and stuff that they're going to do while I'm talking to you. So it's good to have you here today. And uh, I know it's been probably a busy week for everyone that's in the room, um, but it is good to be here to worship together and to be together. Um, I do hope that you'll consider uh, donating for relief efforts in Texas, and um, I, it's a great opportunity for us to help and to get involved. We'll keep you updated on, on how that goes and, and what we're able to send. Uh, we're going to continue our series on Numa today. Uh, Numa is the Greek word for spirit, and what I shared with you last week, I hope it awakened in you a realization that there's so much more to the Christian life than coming to church and then going home and then coming to church and then going home, uh, but instead that we are gifted with the Holy Spirit. But there is a moment that we should be able to identify that something changes in us. Now, when I say that, that does not mean that if you had certain bad habits that all of a sudden you don't have any more bad habits or that somehow if you ever had a negative thought, you never have negative thoughts anymore. It doesn't mean that now you are not a perfect person, but now you are a perfect person. But there is an experiential moment when the Holy Spirit comes on us, and there can be all kinds of reasons why you may or may not have experienced that. What I hope is that you'll walk away understanding that the Holy Spirit is real, it is powerful, excuse me, and God is continuing to use the Holy Spirit today and in your life. Now, what I, the way we do these doctrine series, and what I shared a little bit last week is, I, I've got a ton of notes, and I'm going to go through as far as I can, I can go in this. Uh, and, and when we run out of time, then we'll stop, and we'll pick up later on what I have. What I don't want you to do, which is very easy when we start talking about doctrine, is to sit and absorb a bunch of information. Now, for some of you, what I'm talking about is old stuff. You know this, you've experienced this, you could get up here and teach about this. For some of you, this is absolutely new stuff. You may even have come from a background, some kind of a a traditional church background, like I did, that the Holy Spirit was not something you talked about. It was just kind of ignored because, you know, all those crazy charismatics do that Holy Spirit stuff. And if you're not one of those, you know, you just don't do that kind of stuff. And some of you may have come from a tradition that that is life. Life is walking with the Spirit. And you can't imagine a faith that the Spirit, Holy Spirit is not a central part of everything that you do. And if that is you, I am, I am with you. And I hope that you will be with me as we continue to go through this. So wherever you are within your spiritual life today, I, I, you're each going to take something different away from what I want to share with you. Uh, Some of you may walk away with just some new information, and you're just not sure about all this, and this is kind of new stuff for you, and you just may take away that information. I I hope what you will take away is the realization of how powerful the Holy Spirit is, and how involved in your life is, and how much we can rely on Him. Uh, I I know within my life, the Holy Spirit is something that I studied as I became older, became a, a maturing Christian. It was not something I ever learned about growing up. In fact, in our tradition, we talked about the Holy Ghost, and that's about as far as we went. It was some kind of weird Holy Ghost, and we thought that was cool as kids, but I never really thought about it until I was older as an adult. And what I have found is that there is such a reliance on the Holy Spirit for a follower of Jesus that if you are not aware of how powerful this is, you are missing out on life. So as we go through this, what I want to do today, last week I wanted to talk about Peter and Paul and John as they approached new believers outside of Jerusalem, asking them a very specific question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And as we talked about last week, you can believe but not have received the Holy Spirit because that's exactly what happened in each of those encounters. And so if you are a person that is here today and you believe, but you're not sure about this receiving thing, well, I'm going to share a lot more about that today, and I hope that you will stick with me. Uh, whenever, whenever I put a sermon together, I, it is only by the 
power of the Holy Spirit than I ever have a sermon. I'll be straight up honest with you. When I sit down to just put a sermon together, then I, I rarely can put co- coherent thoughts together. Sometimes when I'm talking, I can't even put coherent thoughts together. But after just some moments of meditation and prayer, thinking back over God as a big picture, worship and asking Him to communicate to me what He wants me to communicate, a sermon often flows. Now, all through our church, we have people that are serving and giving in all kinds of different ways. Some came in today after a long, hard week, and they're serving in our kids' ministry, and they are exhausted, and they are relying on the Holy Spirit to empower them and to help them deal with your kids <laughs> this morning because, you know, they're, some of our kids, they go crazy a little bit. And some people are serving today, and they are relying on the Holy Spirit just to walk another step on another day, and we have no idea what they're going through in their life outside of our time together here. But wherever we are, the church only functions when the Holy Spirit is active among us. And so my hope as we go through this series is that we will allow the Holy Spirit to move through us and do some incredible things today. So I've got several things that I want to share with you. Receiving the Holy Spirit is an experiential event. That's what we talked about last week. And we have this interesting prophecy in Isaiah that I want to start with today. Because it somewhat sets the tone for everything else that I want to share. Isaiah 44, 3 says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the incredible gift we have through Jesus Christ that we can not only be forgiven for our sins, but we can know you. We can experience the Holy Spirit in a daily walk, and we can experience the power that comes through that relationship. I pray that you will speak to us today and help us to hear what we need to hear, see what we need to see, and you will open up our understanding to how you work supernaturally in our world and in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The reason I wanted to read Isaiah 44.3 to you is the picture of pouring water on a thirsty land. Have you ever been super thirsty? Anybody? I mean parched. Maybe you're out mowing the grass, maybe you're out working, maybe you've been out running or exercising, but I mean just super parched. You just, you've got to have something. The image that we see here is the image that God wants to pour out on a people who are parched, who they just daydream about having something on this dry, cracked throat. And whenever I am really thirsty, one of my favorite things to drink is chocolate milk because, you know, God made chocolate milk for us. And nothing quenches my thirst like a good half gallon of chocolate milk at a time. I want you to imagine that picture as God looks over us, whether we recognize it or not, we are a dry, thirsty land who are begging for something to drink. And what Isaiah is prophesying is that a time is coming that God is going to pour out His Spirit on us so that we can soak it in, we can be replenished, we can be renewed, we can be made new. It's an incredible promise that we have. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this. And I also want you to understand that if we understand the work of the Holy Spirit, If we truly understand how huge his influence on our lives and that we would have no relationship with Christ, we would have no ability to do the will of the Father, to please the Father, to be able to spend an eternity with him, none of that would be possible without the Holy Spirit. When we understand the work of the Holy Spirit, when we truly grasp it, the response is always going to be humble worship. It reminds us of who we are and how lowly we are compared to a majestic God. But it also reminds us of how grateful we are for what he has done for us. John chapter 16, verse 5, is where we're going to start today. We're going to be all over John. The reason that I give you so much scripture is because I, I never want to be accused of trying to twist something for my own means or to make something say something that it doesn't really say. So... 
I give you tons of scripture to back up what I'm trying to say. If you're following along on version, you could take all these notes with you. I have all my notes on there. And uh, you can email those to yourself, save them, whatever you want to do to, to come back to them later. But we're going to start with John 16. It says, but now, this is Jesus speaking, now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, we've reached a point in Jesus' relationship with his disciples that he's telling them, it's, I've been training and preparing you. It's time for me to go and for you to take this. Now, when he says that, the disciples don't particularly want to hear it, which is why he says, none of you are really asking me where I'm going because I don't think any of you really believe that I'm leaving. In fact, we find throughout their time with Jesus, he will tell them something, teach them something bigger about the kingdom, and they won't grasp it. And he will literally say to them, do you not understand what I'm saying? And in this, he still doesn't. But he promises something that is incredible, especially to their ears. And that is that something better than Jesus is coming, but he can't come unless Jesus goes. And for them, they have no idea what this is. They still don't understand any amount of what he is talking about, even though this has been prophesied to happen. As we looked at last week, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have all been in, throughout all time together. There's never been a moment where one existed without the other. We find throughout creation that Jesus was the force by which God spoke and then Jesus created. We find that in the book of John. We find that in the book of Genesis that when God breathed, it's the exact same word for spirit. The spirit breathed into Adam and he was able to live. And so the Holy Spirit gave life to Adam and Eve. And now when we come to this point in their history, we see that Jesus and the Holy Spirit yet again are working together to accomplish the will of the Father. And yet Jesus says, I've got to go. And when I go, something better is going to come. And we get a beginning picture of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. I've got nine things I want to share with you today. Some of you know that if I have nine things to share with you, that you probably should have brought a snack and you may need to go get another coffee. But many of these we're going to go through very quickly. But there are nine, they're not only nine, there's more than nine, but there are nine primary things that I want to share with you. And what I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit is necessary all the way from an interest in knowing Christ, much less knowing Him, but in an interest in knowing Christ all the way to the way that you live your life once you do. We see that He's active and He is necessary for that. So as we go through this, I want you to hang on. Um, and, and we're going to see how far we can get. Number one, first thing I want to share with you, the Holy Spirit calls us to repentance. The Holy Spirit calls us to repentance. It's a very difficult thing to study the Old Testament before the New and then to grasp the importance of a gospel of grace in the midst of a legal system that we find in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, everything was about doing the right things, and God had instituted the law with the nation of Israel that they consistently would not keep. In fact, if you read the whole Old Testament, 
It's, it's pretty much God making promises if you will follow me. And when they do, God fulfills those promises. And when they don't, God kind of turns them over to some difficult circumstances that then brings them back. And time and time again, we see that. All of the story of the judges is God raising up someone that comes to the nation of Israel and says, you have turned away from God and so life has gotten difficult and so I'm going to help pull you back. And they follow the leadership of the judge and they return to following God again. After the judges we see with the kings, that the exact same thing happens except many of the kings in the Old Testament were terrible kings. They didn't care about God. They didn't want to follow him. Time and time again, God would bring them back until when the kings were not following God anymore, he brought up prophets. And prophets would come in and prophets would begin to declare the word of the Lord and he would tell them how they should act or change or how they should return to the Lord. And when they did, then blessings would come and when they didn't, more pain would come. Until finally he said that there's a Savior that's coming that's going to make all of this obsolete. Now, if you read the Old Testament, it's very easy to think that you have some kind of innate ability to accept Christ on your own, to analyze what's going on in the world and to say, you know, there's a better option to choose Jesus. I should choose that, that somehow within us, we have that power to see that truth and go after it. But scripture does not teach that, but instead tells us that the only way you can pursue Christ is that the Holy Spirit is working within you and God is calling you to this we read this in john six forty four. it says no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and i will raise him up on the last day first corinthians 12 3 says therefore i want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of god ever says jesus is accursed and no one can say jesus is lord except in the holy spirit If we go back to John 16 that we read just a few minutes ago, it says in verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. I like to think that I am pretty astute at figuring out the right way to live life. And so I can convict myself on what is good and what is bad. And in fact, a lot of us do that, and we come up with whatever our scale of good and bad is, and we do judge each other, even if we say we don't. We'll judge each other based on, well, you're worse than me. We rarely say, I'm worse than you, right? But it's easy to look at someone and find all their faults and problems and point those out and to look at ourselves and say, at least I'm not that bad. But what Scripture teaches is something very different, that repentance, which is necessary for salvation, only comes when the Holy Spirit is drawing you to it. Which literally means if this one work of the Holy Spirit didn't happen, there would not be a single follower of Jesus on the planet. and No one would spend an eternity with him in heaven. If this one work of the Holy Spirit was not in place, we would never see Christ, ever. It's impossible to have even the slightest interest in Jesus without the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that that is so highly crucial in our lives is because repentance is the unnatural requirement to know Christ. And the reason I say it's the unnatural requirement, no one likes to repent. I ask you here, parents, how many of your kids love to come tell you what they did wrong? Any of you? Because if you raise your hand, you need to stick out, stay after and hold a seminar for all the rest of us parents in the room. Our kids don't grow up wanting to repent. My kids don't come to me and say, Dad, I just, I want to tell you all the things I did wrong. I want them to do that, but they don't do it. The truth is, I don't do that either. It takes some level of maturity for us to come to the point for us to say, I have messed up. And when we read through Scripture, what we find is that repentance is an unnatural act for a people that in the end want to feel that they are right all by themselves. You know, it's something we're seeing in mass in our culture today. We're seeing it all over our nation and all over our world, the staunch individualism that says, my way is the only way. And when we watch the news, we're encouraged to choose sides based on this 
political battle that's going on in our nation, this ideological battle that's going on in our schools and our churches. We have to pick a side which one we're going to agree with. We want to believe that we are right, that we are the center of the world. We want to believe that we are enough all by ourselves and the call to repentance is one that you will never pursue on your own. It's just not the way that you're made. And so repentance is the unnatural requirement to know Christ. We see this as the gospel is shared both by John and Jesus initially, and then the disciples continue this practice. In Mark 1.4, John appeared, this is John the Baptist, not John the, the apostle. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance. We jump down to verse 14 in Mark chapter 1. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this crucial element of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you have ever come to a moment in which you have repented genuinely of your sin, understand you have only done that because the Holy Spirit has been active within you and you listened I think probably many of us in this room question, is God really using me today? Is God really doing anything amazing in me? Does God have a plan or a purpose for my life? Is, is God really, am I shutting him out? I mean, what's happening? I just don't know that God is active within me. Sometimes, somehow we believe that if God is active within us, it's like we're just going to walk around and see angels playing badminton all around us. Or we're just going to see Jesus stroll up next to us and go, Hey, Mark, what's up? Hey, I got this great miracle for you to perform later. Somehow we have this weird idea that when we come and we sing, it's like we just see angels fill this place. And Jesus is up here on stage jamming with everybody. I, I, we have these crazy ideas, but the truth is, if you have ever genuinely repented from something, that is because you have listened to the Holy Spirit, and God has been active within you. It's an amazing promise. And this work of the Holy Spirit, it is so crucial. I cannot overemphasize this one. And if we don't get to any of the other nine, this is the one that you've got to understand first because throughout Scripture it will tell us we can be forgiven for any sin but one. You remember what that sin is? I was going to say not tithing in church, but I'm kidding. But it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know you all have a very clear understanding of what, the blasphemy, of what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, and you all could come up here and articulate that better than I could. But Scripture does tell us that we can be forgiven for any sin but one, and that is it. And so anytime I read something like that in Scripture, it gets my, my ears perked up because I think, well, I probably need to get this one. <laughs> because if I mess that one up, it doesn't matter anything else that I do, that's the one that will get me messed up. And so as we come through and we begin to read and we begin to understand that there is only one sin that is unforgivable, we've got to grasp why that is. And it has to do with this crucial work of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 32 says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. In other words, you can say all kinds of terrible things about all kinds of people, including Jesus. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, I'll tell you, that one of the understandings of God that we need to each have is that when God says something is or is not going to happen, it is or is not going to happen. Now, I like to think that I can talk my way out of a lot of stuff. But I can't stand before him and talk my way out or in to anything with him. He sets those boundaries and those promises and those Rules and all of those things. He sets them and he keeps them. And so as we look at this ability that we can, we can sin against all kinds of people and we can do all kinds of different things, what does this mean that 
We blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We won't be forgiven. Mark chapter 3, verse 22, it, it describes it like this. It says, and this is a, uh, a story of Jesus with one of the many stories with, with him and the scribes. It says, the scribes came down from Jerusalem and were saying, this man, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. So in other words, there's a demon-possessed person, which is very noticeable in culture, and... Jesus is able to, and the apostles are able to basically cast out these demons. And we have all kinds of incredible stories of that. And lots of people believe because they see he has power in ways that no one else has power. But the scribes come down and they say, well, no, that wasn't the son of God who did that. That was Satan himself who did that, who's trying to trick us. So we'll follow him. In other words, Jesus is from Satan. And so this is how he responds. In, in verse 23, he called them to him and he said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now what he's saying here is that these scribes who have come down have basically said God is not, does not have the power or at least has not given Jesus the power to cast out demons. Which Jesus says what we have heard in many different ways throughout history, that when a house is divided, it cannot stand. And so he goes on to tell them that there is an eternal sin when we reject the work of God through the Holy Spirit. So when we look at what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it is literally this blasphemy. To blaspheme something means to reject specifically something about God. We can reject many things, but blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the joyful rejection of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I call it joyful is because we're perfectly okay rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit and that means we are rejecting this first primary tenet in which the Holy Spirit calls us to repentance. Salvation tells us there is no salvation without repentance. Therefore, if we reject the work of the Holy Spirit to lead us to repent, we will literally never repent. So blaspheming the Holy Spirit is literally the joyful rejection. I'm happy to not have the Holy Spirit work in me. The joyful rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit, which means you cannot repent, which means you cannot be forgiven, which means it's an eternal sin because you will never seek forgiveness. So this first crucial work of the Holy Spirit, it is so important. When we reject the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we reject the calling to repentance. And we will not receive forgiveness. This is something that we often have to struggle with within our own heads. Because pride is something that we all seek. The original sin was that we would be gloried at least alongside with God, if not above God. That was the original sin. And you and I still struggle with that today. I shared with you last week that I had some basic questions that were driving this series for me. Some of those basic questions had to do with the fact that the church continues to diminish. Why is the church diminishing? We get that culture is changing, but if a person has experienced Christ, why are people falling away? Another question that was driving me is I, I have so many friends who were church planners and they had such passion to plan a church. And when their church didn't become a megachurch overnight... Not only did they quit the church, they quit their faith, they never went to church again, 
And I have friend after friend after friend who did that. And I think, how could you do that? How can a person feel so called to plant a church, and when it doesn't work out the way they hope it's going to, they completely abandon their whole faith? It's interesting, for one of these questions, a study came out just recently by Lifeway Research and Ed Stetzer. I don't know if you follow church circles at all, you've heard of Ed Stetzer. They did some pretty extensive research on why people are leaving the church. And what they found time and time again were those that identified a strong, passionate relationship with Christ have never left the church. Though those who would call themselves Christian but not practice it in any meaningful way were the ones that were walking away. Thereby, the church is not decreasing. Just those who claim the name Christian find no more value in doing that. But they still do not have a relationship with Christ. Now, is that every situation? Absolutely not. Does that mean we could put everybody in that box and that the church has no culpability and the way the church has been led over the last 50 years? Absolutely not. There are all kinds of other factors in play. However, it does show that there are a number of people that in our recent history found value in being called a Christian, no longer find that value and walk away. But a person who has come to this understanding that it is through Christ that I have life and I need to repent for my sins, it changes you. And that change is so profound, not because you made a decision or that a pastor was so inspiring or the worship song was so moving, but that change is in you because there is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that it could never happen without Him. the amazing power of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And all of that begins with us seeking God with a repentant heart, and that would not be possible without the Holy Spirit. So one of the reasons that I say a response to understanding the Holy Spirit is humble worship is because it kind of puts us in our place. I, I really don't have anything to offer here. But also it causes us to worship. Because we see how wonderful the gift is of Christ and the Holy Spirit to lead us to this. All right, that's number one. I've got eight more. The rest aren't going to take that long. Number two, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit will give you a new life. Now, I love this, but I wish it were a little, I would tweak it a little bit if God would let me. Because with a new life, you know, I often would like to have a new job and a new house and a new car, you know, and all kinds of new stuff. And so if I could rewrite this, then if I have a new life, can I pick that life? You know, I like theirs. Theirs is pretty good. Can I just have their life? Sometimes when we talk about having a new life, we tend to think about some of the peripheral things that make up our life, where we live, where we go to work, how we spend our time, how we feel about ourselves. That's not the kind of new life that the Holy Spirit promises John 6, 63 says, it is the Spirit who gives what? If you're a Christian, and this happens so often, if you're a Christian and you don't like life, you need to have an experience with the Holy Spirit. Because it is Him, it is He, or some of you, you could say she. I don't want to get into a gender battle here, but if you'll look through Scripture and you'll go back to the original languages, you'll actually find that God is referred in both male and female pronouns and in gender pronouns outside of male or female. Now that has no, there's no commentary on that in the current cultural battle that's going on in our world today, only to say that when God created men and women, He did not, as some have thought through traditional patriarchy, that God imparted all of His good stuff in men And women were just kind of there to have kids. Because there have been traditions that have said that. But instead, God has released his full self in men and women. And so that scripture, if you go back to the original languages, we don't often translate them that way. But if you go back and look at the original languages and the pronouns that apply to the Holy Spirit and to God, then you will find that he is referred to in many different gender pronouns. 
Remember when the shack came out, and you may have some doctrinal and theological problems with the shack. I, I think the shack was an incredible book. I would not rely on it for my salvation, but I thought it was an incredible book. And one of the reasons people don't like it is because the Holy Spirit, or not the Holy Spirit, but God is viewed, God the Father is viewed as a woman. So it can't be right. Because all our pictures of God are of men, right? All the ones that we put up, they're all of men. But instead, Scripture does refer to God in many different ways. It is impossible for you and I to possibly grasp the fullness of who God is or to put Him in a box. Because every time we put God into a box, then we lose an opportunity to expand our understanding and knowledge of Him. So let's keep going. Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. In other words, there's nothing you can do that leads you to this. Only the Holy Spirit. It requires the Holy Spirit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, this idea of new life, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the what? Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This is, I love this verse, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There is new life that is offered through the Holy Spirit important that when we understand how we're living our lives supernaturally, what is God doing among us? We don't understand what God is doing among us, then we miss out on the power that is promised to those that know Christ. Third thing I want to share with you about the work of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. Romans chapter 8, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the, what's the word? Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, this is where we learn that not only does the Holy Spirit motivate us, teach us, and show us stuff, the Holy Spirit can actually live within us, dwells in us. When I was growing up as a kid, we would talk about becoming a, a Christian, we would say, would you invite Jesus into your heart? And that comes from Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I'll come into them. What he's saying here is that that's not really Jesus coming into your heart, but instead it is the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. So when you look out at those people that are your spiritual heroes and you go, wow, I just see God on them. I just see them in their kindness and in their humility and gentleness. When they pray, I I just can experience power going on in the room when they begin to pray. Whenever they give counsel, it's just beyond normal stuff. They just have wisdom that goes so far beyond. When you Think of those spiritual heroes, and I hope you all have some of those spiritual heroes in your life. It is because the Holy Spirit is in them, and they have learned to walk in step with that Spirit. One of the crucial things when a person becomes a Christian is that the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. It brings us into His family. Now, the wording here is pretty incredible. He's talking to those who are believers, and he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if you don't have the Spirit, then the Spirit of Christ does not belong to you. This is how crucial this teaching is. 
I mean, if we really, if we had some kind of Holy Spirit lens and we wanted to go around and say, well, how many people in this room are actually Christians? Well, he's got the Spirit. She's got the Spirit. He, he doesn't have the Spirit. She doesn't. She, well, maybe, yeah, she's got the Spirit. You know, we could do that. But this is the telltale sign of a person that knows Christ, is that they have the Spirit dwelling within them. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, even though your body is dead, I'm not really dead yet, but supernaturally, spiritually, I'm as good as dead without Christ. Even though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life because of righteousness is alive. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. And like that, number four, the Holy Spirit adopts you into his family. I love this. Romans 8, 15, a few verses later. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I know some of you may have difficult life situations and you may have some good friends and you may have some people that really don't like you. We often find today are people that believe that they have little value in this world or little to offer. What Scripture is very clear for us is that you, as you have listened to the ministry of the Holy Spirit to repent, as you have repented and received forgiveness... You have not only received the Holy Spirit, but you have been adopted into the family of God. Revelation tells us that whenever a person comes to this knowledge of Christ, that there is an immense party in heaven as all angels are cheering and Christ himself is cheering that a person has come home. It's an incredible promise that the Holy Spirit adopts us into his family. The fifth thing is this. I hope you're seeing a pattern. This is a lot of points. I hope you're seeing a pattern here. Second Corinthians tells us that the Holy Spirit will seal you until the, t- the day of Jesus Christ, which often begs the question, what happens when a person becomes a Christian when they are young and they go kind of crazy? And then will they come back? Second Corinthians one twenty one says, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He seals us. Jesus says, it is not my desire, it is not the Father's desire that anyone who comes to a saving knowledge of me would ever be pulled out of my hand. It is not possible to happen. And so when you receive the Holy Spirit, a seal is placed on you until Jesus returns or until you go to be with him in heaven. It's a seal that's given to us, which naturally begs the question, what about the scripture that says, teach a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it, because sometimes our kids don't always make the decisions we want them to make. I would love to say that if you Bring your child to church. You dedicate them when we have baby dedication. You bring them every time there's something for their age group. You're reading the Bible every day at home. Would love to say you are guaranteed the seal of the Holy Spirit that no matter what they do, it's going to be okay. That is not what that scripture says because to believe that would have to ignore all the other teachings of the Holy Spirit. Instead, when we teach them these things, while they may never come back to understanding what you tried to teach them, what you have taught them as children will always be there for them to fall back on. They will always have the invitation. And one of the things that I love about the Holy Spirit 
is that it does not require me. There is no requirement by the Holy Spirit to live a sinless life in order to continue to have the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, if I live a, a life of sin that I am unrepentant about, I, I severely question how much I really wanted to know Christ to begin with. It's like the parable of the sower. The gospel is the seed. It's thrown out, scattered about. Some of it falls on fertile ground, and it grows and it blossoms and becomes a life-giving, fruit-bearing follower of Jesus. Some of it falls on the road. It gets trampled underfoot. They, it never goes anywhere. You know, we all know people like this, that we've tried to share our faith with them, but there is zero interest. For whatever reason, there's zero interest. And then there's that group that's so difficult to comprehend. The seed falls among the weeds and the briars, and it grows, and we begin to see, and we believe this person is has given their hearts to Christ, and they're walking in the ways of Jesus, and yet the world just kind of chokes it out of them, and then they disappear. I would like to say that's never happened on my watch as a pastor, but it does. It breaks your heart to watch somebody walk away. Whenever we receive the Holy Spirit and it dwells within us, when we have truly repented, then we will continue to maintain the course because we see the world differently. So the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of Jesus Christ. The sixth thing is this. This is, this is important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit pours from us to others. So where we've come so far, the Holy Spirit is in every part of salvation. The only part of salvation that the Holy Spirit has not done itself is actually be on the cross. That was what Jesus did. Only He could do. But the Holy Spirit is a part of every other process in which we come to know Christ. It is the Holy Spirit, which is why it is so crucial that we understand how this works within our lives. But once we receive the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit pours from us into others. You were never meant to just receive it and hold it and experience it and worship with it and say, God, I'm so thankful for this. Let me just, let me just sit here and just be so thankful for this. Even though there, there is a part of you that that's what you want to do and spend your time, what the Holy Spirit will do is want you to go and pass it on to others. John seven thirty seven. on the last day of the feast, a great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. For those that experience the Holy Spirit, out of your heart will come living water to others. That does not mean that because you know somebody, you will ensure that they become a Christian. But what it does mean is that the Holy Spirit wants to move through you into others. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we're going to do that in a couple of weeks, three weeks, a couple of weeks. We've got a, our first Youth Sunday service, although I think they're all on, well, we've got a few here. A lot of them, I guess, are on Labor Day weekend. But the Holy Spirit pours from us to others. This is one of the, my struggles in the church with the pastors I talked with you about. How can a person who's received the Holy Spirit, who believes they're called by the Holy Spirit to do ministry, all of a sudden completely refuse any ministry of the Holy Spirit and walk away? Just walk away. And it tells me that you can be very involved in the church and not know Christ. There are all kinds of reasons that you would want to be a pastor without knowing Christ. And it all falls back to the original sin, and that is to be glorified. It is possible, and it's heartbreaking. The Holy Spirit pours from us to others. Number seven, the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. If the Holy Spirit does these things. <laughs> And you will eventually do these things. That doesn't mean that when you become a Christian, you go out and become the very best evangelist out there. 
one of the things that Scripture teaches us is that those who receive the Holy Spirit become witnesses of the Holy Spirit. Now, a witness is someone different than someone who is knowledgeable. You can be knowledgeable and know stuff about it, but never actually witnessed it, right? I know all kinds of things that allegedly happened. Deidre tells me all kinds of things that I allegedly did, and, but I'm not always going to verify that that's actually what happened, right? But when you witness something, then you're there, you see it, you're a part of it. There's no denying it. I have witnessed this. And those are the worst because Deidre remembers my sermons when she's a witness of the thing, bad things that I do. Now, you know, you said something about that in a sermon. Ah, let's not talk about that right now. Right? Y'all don't do that, do you? Just me? You don't ever say something and then do something else, do you? Well, all right, just me. Oh, and then Leslie. All the rest of you aren't telling the truth. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. Doesn't share knowledge about Jesus, but bears witness. John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes who I will send to you from, fa- from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness Because you have been with me from the beginning, which means you in this room. I know that it is not an exciting thing to walk out of this room and start telling people about Jesus. And the last thing I want you to do is to go start knocking on doors and asking people if they're going to hell. Let's not do that today. I think we can do that another day, but not today, okay? But what you can do is you can be a witness to what you have experienced. Now, The thing that I notice most about people that I run into is that we are much better witnesses of the bad things we've been through than we are of the good things that have happened. All of humanity is like one enormous Eeyore. (laughs) And so we think about the bad things. We focus on the bad things. We all do it. Now, there's occasionally... You know, that person, that tigger that jumps and bounces around and they're always happy and we all hate them because they're so happy. And they don't know how the, all the bad things that happen to us. And if people don't know how bad your life is, you have Facebook so that you can tell them that your life is so much worse than theirs. And I literally have friends, I swear, I need to put them in a group and just let them compare how bad their lives are because we... Hold on to the bad things that happen. We bear witness so many times to how bad things are. But do we bear witness to the life-giving fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Are we led to share what I've experienced, what you've experienced about Christ, about that life-giving receiving of forgiveness in the Holy Spirit? Because it's one thing for a person to come up and say, you know, I've studied a few things, i read a few things about this, and... No, I, so I'm going to be performing your surgery today. Um, I didn't read everything I wanted to before I got started, but we're kind of out of time, so we're just going to go ahead and get started. You, you don't want that person. You want the person that's been there. You want the person that their hands have been, have done this surgery before, not just once, but many times. They are a witness of a successful performing of this surgery. They've been there. And yet so many of us, we focus back on the few things we learned when we were kids or, you know, kids today. That they, a lot of the Bible stories, kids that grew up in the church today, they think back up with veggie tales. Our kids watched a lot of veggie tales and they're not exactly biblically accurate. They're fun to watch. And I really love when Larry's looking for his hairbrush, but it's not really good biblically sound doctrine. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. And when he does that, he leads you to bear witness as well. Similarly, in verse 8, the Holy Spirit does something else within us. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Now, this is important because, remember, the original sin was self-glory over God's glory. That's, that's our whole problem. 
find any sin, and it always has to do with the, always has to do with self glory over God's glory. Every one, find any of them. At the end of the day, it comes to that self glory. John sixteen thirteen. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is going to spend his time glorifying Christ. And you can believe we should spend our time glorifying Christ too. He not only does it within us, but he leads us in this endeavor to glorify and to worship him. And number nine, the last one that I want to share today. The Holy Spirit grants you power. The Holy Spirit grants you power. The reason this is crucial, and we're, we're going to spend a, whole, a, a day on this one, not, not today, but another day. We're going to spend a day on this one. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes and gives us power. And as I shared last week, with all of this, the mystery of the Holy Spirit is not one that we can put in an outline, and then we can just put it on the wall, and there you go. Just do that. That's the way we want things to work. It's not always the way things work. As we look through the Old Testament, very few people were influenced by the Holy Spirit. And just about every one of them had to do with some kind of prophecy or some kind of craft or skill that God wanted them to use in the building of the tabernacle. It's really an amazing thing what happens when Jesus comes and then the Holy Spirit comes. It literally changes everything about the world for us. But when he comes, we receive power. I run into so many Christians that who just seem so powerless. They're just kind of bumping through life and they're giving up and don't feel that God is doing anything active within them. And, and I want you to know that is not God's design. It's not unusual that someone who comes in and they just kind of come to church and then don't come and then come and then don't come and... They never truly grasp the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Even in that first role, which is to lead us to repentance, they get so discouraged because their life doesn't feel different. And that's, that's right. Our life doesn't feel different until we truly experience Christ. Until the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. We haven't really changed. There are moments that you can believe scripture tells us even the demons believe but they've got it you have to go beyond belief but when you do go beyond belief when you receive the message of repentance and you recognize the goodness and the majesty of god and you recognize that i, I am nothing of my own I, we are we are nothing before him except for the fact that he loves us We have an opportunity to be his children and to walk with him and to be empowered by him. And not only to experience this new life, but we can go out and we can share this new life with other people. When we begin to experience those things, it changes everything, and you are empowered. I don't want to say anything else about that right now. We'll come back to that because. You read something like this, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. What does that mean? What kind of power are we going to get? There's all kinds of powers I'd like to have. What kind of power is this? How do we know if we have it? We'll we'll cover that in a few weeks. But I want you to walk away from today. A sermon like this, this this is a lot of information. And I want you to walk away today is just the knowledge that the Holy Spirit is God's supernatural gift for us who seek Him. That we can know Him, 
and that we can ultimately share him with others. It's a way of living life outside of these natural boundaries that we find ourselves, that we can actually see Christ, we can see what God is doing, we can experience his power within us, and we can walk in absolute confidence that no matter what happens in this world, he is with us. I firmly believe the only reason James is able to say, count it a joy when you experience trials of all different kinds, is because he has experienced the Holy Spirit and he knows that with every trial comes the ability to be infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we begin to experience that and see that, our trials begin to hold less power over us and we begin to trust more in God's power over them. You can experience this. You can have this. And as I began sharing with you last week, I believe God is moving in us as a church. I believe He is calling us to some things in the coming months that is going to absolutely require an active Holy Spirit within us. For some of you, you are serving regularly, and the Holy Spirit within you is so, it's just so apparent. We've got people today, and they came in today, and they didn't want to serve in kids' ministry because they're tired, and they've got things they need to do later. Maybe they're not feeling well or whatever. They, work's not going well, and they have come relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to do something meaningful with your children and my children. Sure, some of these guys that are up here leading us in worship had some rough days this week. And they're relying on the Holy Spirit to help them not only to fulfill their responsibility on this stage, but to lead us to worship and to worship themselves, relying on the Holy Spirit to do that. For some of you, you'll volunteer this week, and no one's going to see what you do. You're going to be relying on the Holy Spirit to do it in a way that impacts others. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is real. It's not something to be afraid of. It is not something that you have to just have a a charismatic Pentecostal worship service in order to experience, but it is the lifeblood of every Christian. And it is promised to all who receive the message of the Holy Spirit, a message of repentance for the gospel that Jesus died on the cross to overcome our sins, something we could never overcome ourselves, and that he would place a seal on us until he would return, and that we would be able to hear from him, we would be able to follow him, we would be able to be empowered by him to fulfill God's ultimate calling, which is to go out into all the world and to spread the gospel so that all can experience that freedom. This is a powerful, powerful thing in the life of a Christian, and I hope that you are experiencing that today. I want to pray with you, and I want to give you an opportunity if you're not experiencing that. One of the things that God says is we can experience it. There there are really two primary ways that we can experience that outside of truly being repentant and experiencing Him for the first time. And the ways that the Holy Spirit often interact with us but in two primary ways. The first one is worship. Remember, the Holy Spirit, it glorifies Jesus and bears witness to, to Jesus. And so Scripture tells us over and over again, we receive the Holy Spirit as we exalt Christ. The second is in meditation and prayer. I find few Christians pray anymore. And whenever we stop praying, we stop experiencing the Holy Spirit. We stop experiencing the Holy Spirit, we start getting really down on ourselves and down on the world, and we begin to feel powerless because we don't experience the Holy Spirit, and that's where our power comes from. So I want to encourage you that through prayer and through worship, these are great opportunities that cannot simply happen on Sunday mornings. It has to happen every day of the week. And if you're a person who feels helpless, you don't have anything to offer, you the thought of, of teaching a small group or, or leading kids, it just scares you to death. If, if the thought of standing out and greeting people as they walk in the door or going out into our community and sharing with those who are hurting, if all of those things scare you to death, know that the Spirit of Christ is in you. He wants to do amazing things in your life.
We're going to worship together with one more song. Now, next week, Scott's going to be tackling a uh, kind of a difficult subject. What does it mean? What about the gift of tongues and the Holy Spirit? Because it is possible that you've come from a religious tradition that says the only way to know for sure if you've received the Holy Spirit is that you speak in tongues. And there are some traditions that teach that. And so Scott's going to be talking about that next week. What about the gift of tongues in the Holy Spirit? As I shared, I'm a full believer that all of the gifts continue to be used in different ways, but not everyone is blessed with the use of those gifts. And so he's going to be sharing some of that next week, so I know you'll want to hear that. But let me pray with you, and I want to pray that those of you who are here and you want to experience the Holy Spirit for the first time, I want you to know that he is consistently calling out to you in a ministry to your own heart, and I want to encourage you to respond to him this morning. Father, God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us unconditionally. You love us, and you do not expect us to be able to do any of this on our own. You have completely taken care of our ability to know you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, the giving of himself as a payment for our sin, that he rose from the dead and ascended to be at your right hand. Father, I thank you for the gift of your spirit so that we can walk with you daily and experience you in so many different ways. I pray that you would help us to experience you in all the ways we've talked about and and more. Pray for those in this room who have been coming to church their entire lives and they have never had a moment where they believe you were active within their lives. I pray that today would be the day to experience that. I pray for us as a church that you would empower us and that you would move among us so that we can be your body in this place and reach out into this community so that those who don't know you can. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us. Let us minister not under our own power, but under yours. I thank you for your love and for your grace. I thank you that while we were all sinners, Christ died for us. And I thank you that you gave us your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.